Welcome to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. On this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us, with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life, using heritage culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as means to do so. Welcome back, my friends. Season four, episode nine. I am the guest today, and I guess so are all of you who sent me your questions. I am doing a Q&A episode today. This is the penultimate episode of season four. The next episode will be a wrap-up. I will go through all the lovely people I spoke to this season and kind of summarize what I think we learned this season exploring the topic of beauty. Before I jump in to your questions, wanted to let you know that if you hadn't heard over on Substack or Instagram, I am pregnant with my second baby and I'm very excited. I am about six and a half months along now and it is moving a lot quicker than I feel like the first pregnancy did, which other mamas tell me is pretty common because of course a lot of my time is now consumed by a three-year-old that I'm taking care of and uh, running around after. So time just moves quicker. But um, I'm feeling pretty well and uh, can't complain. Just the usual kind of uncomfortable, especially when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. But I'm pretty grateful. I'm more than pretty grateful. (laughs) I'm extremely grateful. And we are, we're very excited. So uh, stay tuned for more on that journey. I think if you've been listening to season four, you can probably weave together some of the story and the journey that got me to this point. As I wrote about in Substack last week, I'm I'm obviously kind of superstitious and pretty old school, so I'm hesitant to talk too much about the pregnancy until, honestly, after the baby is here, healthy, perfect, strong, in my arms, and everything goes well. But when that happens, I really do want to share more of what I've learned as I made my way to this point, which has been really eye-opening just about everything from really the medical industry to the messages we're being fed as women to ideas about fertility and health and just in general how we can reclaim a lot of the power that I feel is perhaps leaking from us slowly but surely and draining us. So stay tuned. Definitely head over to Substack. The link is always in the show notes My publication is called The Tradition of Living Beautifully. You can search me by name, Dolores Alfieri Taranto, and I have free as well as paid subscriptions, so you can sign up and uh, follow me and just get more of basically what I talk about on the show, but different content, exclusive content. I really love writing over on Substack. It's been a great experience. Thank you so much to all of you who have signed up and most especially to all of you who have joined as paid members. It really does help me to keep doing all the work that I do, including these podcasts. So 
subscriptions are as affordable as $5 a month. And that's a cup of coffee these days. So for a cup of coffee a month, you can get additional content that hopefully inspires you and teaches you things here and there and shows me that you believe in my work and that it means something to you. So with that said, I also announced today, I actually just sent out the email about a new workshop that I am launching, which I am so excited about. It's one of those ideas and projects that I can just tell I'm meant to do because I kind of can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop researching it. I can't stop preparing for it. And I have been doing all of those things behind the scenes. And finally today was ready to launch it. And I'm giving Substack subscribers the chance to learn about it and to claim their spots before I open it up to IG, to Instagram, and to a wider community because I am keeping the workshop very limited in terms of participants because I want to be able to give everyone who joins really honest one-on-one attention. The workshop is titled Tell the Story of Your Ancestors and it is a creative writing workshop, a creative journey workshop where we will be doing basically a creative exploration of ancestry, culture, and personal history. So for those of you who have been wanting to gather the stories of your family, to write them, to use perhaps even photography and art and other creative means to gather the folklore of your ancestors, this is your opportunity. I will guide you through how I've done it. I will give you inspiration and examples from how other writers have done it. And we will spend two Saturday mornings in September together live over Zoom. And then there will be many emails in between. And I will also send you a lovingly old school printed, actually printed, you can hold it in your hand and keep it for future reference booklet filled with inspiration, writing examples, assignments, and even overview, like a a writing well overview. I'm going to go through ways to become a better writer, and I'm going to go through ways to just think more creatively, how to look at your family stories in a more creative way from different angles, and this is really designed to just get you going. I know with projects like this, they can feel so overwhelming, So we never do them. And as I wrote about this morning in in Substack, time doesn't wait for us. (laughs) So the people that you need to gather your stories from, they're getting older and they will pass away. And along with them will go all the stories, all the memories, all the wisdom that they harbor. So there's really, there really isn't time. And I've been wanting to put a workshop a writing retreat, a creative retreat, something like this together for some time now. And I just kind of got the inspiration and it all came together. And now I cannot wait for it to happen. (laughs) So registration, I mean, as of my recording this, slots are still open. I just notified, as I said, only the Substack community this morning. 
I will link to it in the show notes. You can also check it out over on my website, bellafigurapodcast.com. Just click on the workshops link at the top um, the top bar there. You'll see there's workshops about, et cetera, et cetera. Just click on workshops and there you can get more information as well as claim your spot. Because the spots are limited, I am going to just do like first come, first serve. So if you are interested and have been wanting to do this, go ahead over there, take a look and definitely, definitely join if you're able to and you're, you feel called to, I guess, if you feel like this is something that's coming just at the right time. I have a feeling it's going to be absolutely wonderful, really inspiring. And my hope is that participants come away with not a project And not having started just a project, but a legacy, a legacy for themselves and for their descendants. Before I answer your questions for this Q&A episode, just a reminder and thank you to the sponsors who keep this show going. So I began taking a look at my home and my personal beauty products and so on a while back in order to kind of see what I could swap out to improve the environment in my home and to improve my own health and the health of my family. And it's like a Russian doll set where there's a doll within a doll within a doll. The more that you learn, the more you realize how much you have to learn. And it was only when I had Annabelle Alsup, owner of House of Tokemon, on this podcast that I really realized the rugs in our home that we're buying at the big department stores or online are toxic. Guys, it was something I actually had not even given a thought to. But those rugs, like so much other stuff in our beauty products and our clothing and furniture and so on, are hurting us. They're hurting our health and they're hurting the air in our homes. So I also slowly as I could begin to swap out my rugs for rugs from House of Tokemon. And why did I do that? Well, of course, because I want to eliminate as many toxins as I can, but also because they're gorgeous, because they're vintage, because they're handmade. They are all the things that I am really passionate about. And I know that so many of you are passionate about these things too. Annabelle has become a friend of mine. I totally support her and her business, and she does the same in return for me. She is generous enough to offer Bella Figura listeners 25% off any order by using the code BELLA25. So check her out over at hotrugs.net and take a look at her inventory and use the code BELLA25 to begin swapping out your rugs for these beautiful, vintage, natural, healthier, handmade rugs. That's hotrugs.net. Use the code BELLA25. All right, folks, let's get going with this Q&A episode. I will read some of the questions that you sent my way over on Instagram and over on Substack. The first one is, do you have any culturally relevant 
spiritual and wellness practice practices for Italo Americans. Uh, definitely. I mean, I would say this is a large part of what I do talk about a lot online in my writings. In general, I think for me, these focus on altars, connecting to my ancestors through prayer and cooking, honoring saint days and Madonnas relevant to certain aspects of my life. So for instance, uh, paying attention and praying to and honoring, of course, when, when her days her day comes along each year, Madonna di Monte Vergine, for instance, because my family, especially my mother, lives lived very close to that region, as well as Madonna di Carmine, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, because Our Lady of Mount Carmel has been a very prominent Madonna and figure for the Italian-American community since, honestly, the beginning of the first large wave of immigration. So that helps me to feel like I'm connected to so many of my people who came before me. And I feel like she has perhaps a special ear for uh, people of our ilk. And and you can really do that with wherever your ancestors are from, wherever your family is from. It's not just Italian-Americans, of course. A little bit of research, a little bit of asking some of the older folks in your family, and you will have you'll have access to a connection like that. I also think some wellness practices would be, for me, the gardening that I do, the preserving of food, eating ancestrally, so trying to use ingredients that I know my ancestors would have used and staying away from highly processed ingredients that are really very much so-called quote-unquote modern um, excuse me, quote unquote modern. So that would be whole foods, right? Like real fat. So your grandmother would have used lard. She would have used tallow. She would have used really good butter uh, at a time when really good butter wasn't expensive <laughs> or any more expensive than just butter in general would have been for, for somebody if they were poor, of course. Um, fresh foods, herbs, garlic, of course, and all of those things help me to feel connected. And I do see them as very spiritual and very much like in the wellness sphere of keeping my body healthy, keeping my family healthy, keeping my spirit healthy, and also connected. So thanks for that question. The next one here is... Are there any places you find a sacred space for Italian Americans, regardless of faith? That's an interesting question. I, I guess since the clause regardless of faith is in there, I guess things of nature. So the volcanoes in southern Italy, for instance, like Etna and Vesuvio, the oceans, Ionian Sea, the Tyrrhenian Sea, the mountain ranges, these things that are very much a part of who we are, the land, but don't have necessarily a tie to any particular denomination or religious religious practice. 
And nature is a very big part of the people that I come from. Of course, many of our ancestors, if you're Italian-American, you're likely of Southern Italian origin from Sicily, from the areas of Naples and below. And so much of that land was farmed, fishing, and it was a really big part of their lives and living in communion with the seasons. And I think I think that that could be a sacred space. But to be honest, when the words sacred and Italian-American are <laughs> presented to me or asked together, I do instinctually think of Catholic places, churches and sanctuaries of pilgrimage. And, uh, you know, for instance, like the Madonna di Montevergine uh, sanctuary in the mountains of Campania near where my mother was raised, as well as some of the places of pilgrimage, churches and sanctuaries. I mean, in Naples alone, Church of Santa Chiara, Gesù Nuovo, these are very old churches and they're beautiful. And when you walk into them, you very much feel a very long, sacred and humbling history. So hopefully, hopefully that answered your question. The next question here, what's your happy place in Italy? (laughs) I would say usually near water or in nature, uh, which thankfully in Italy is nearly everywhere. I do have happy place moments when I'm with my Italian family. I still think of a time where my mother's elder sister who who passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, uh, made me a bowl of spaghetti in the middle of the afternoon because I was hungry and I sat out on her veranda with a glass of homemade wine eating this big bowl of spaghetti. And I just was in such a happy place because I felt very much a part of the rhythm there. I felt very loved. Food, of course, being a major way of showing love. And she, this Zia of mine was, was really kind of like the Nona I never knew because my mother, my mother's mother passed away before I was born. And so I still think of that. I mean, we're talking more than 10 years ago, at least, if not more, I still think of that moment and feeling that love in Italy from an Italian relative, eating Italian food. And that is, those memories, memories like that are also very much happy places for me in Italy. And next. Someone wrote, I have no questions, just admiring this beautiful place and the story that you are posting here. That's very sweet. Thank you. Will you tour Italy or Sicily next year? Yes, in fact. If you've been catching uh, some of my recent posts on Instagram, I've been letting you all know that Shay Elliott and I, Shay Elliott of the Elliott Homestead, do indeed intend to continue with our trips to Italy, in particular to Sicily, to take those of you who want to join us for a week and bring you on a very unique, authentic, off-the-beaten-path experience that we think you guys will absolutely love and remember for the rest of your lives. 
So that just got a little bit sidetracked because I got pregnant. So we had to, instead of doing the first uh, workshop this October, we had to push it back to 2024. We are looking to do the first trip again in October of 2024. But Shay and I, along with our families, are actually right as I'm recording this in the middle of planning another visit to Sicily to check out some of the hotels we have in mind to book for you guys who do come in preparation for the trip. We definitely want to stay in them, see them, meet the staff, make sure they're up to our exacting demands and reconnect with many of the people that we want to bring people to see some of the artisans, farmers, cheesemakers, and just kind of get that all straightened out before we start actually booking trips. And we're really excited about it. We're excited both about, you know, the vacation slash work trip that we're we're planning to do in the spring. And we're really excited to just roll out these trips. I think they're going to be kind of once in a lifetime trips and between our two audiences, just right up your alley, basically. And then I have some chicken questions here. Love those. What's one thing to know in order to get started raising chickens? I'm not sure if you're looking for a, a technical answer, like get this water feeder, but I my gut answer is just do it. I think that when it comes to things like this, new endeavors and such, we can have a habit of wanting to learn as much as we possibly can before we take the step. And of course, especially when you're talking about bringing living things into your home, you definitely want to have some idea of the setup that you need and where to begin. So definitely do your research. But also with things like this, at some point, you just have to learn as you go. I think that's with so many things and the older I get, the more and more that becomes a truism. So in my case, for for the most part, people tend to buy chicks in the spring because obviously it's warmer and you can keep them outside. But I just wanted, after doing that step, right, all the research, waiting, talking about it with my husband, saying one day we'll get chickens. Finally, I just thought, I want chickens. I just want to do this. So it was winter and I had to do a little research to find somewhere where I actually could buy chicks in winter, but I did. And against kind of what everybody around me was saying, like, why are you getting them now? It's winter. You know, they might not make it, et cetera, et cetera. I just said, it's fine. We'll keep them in the basement. We have heat lamps. When they get bigger, we'll move them to a new spot. And I bought them. Because they, you have to wait about six months, like kind of five, five and a half weeks, six months for the chickens to start laying eggs, to get big enough to start laying eggs. So if I waited until the spring to buy little baby chicks, it wouldn't be until, you know, the fall that I'd start getting eggs. And I just felt like I'd waited long enough. So I followed my gut, followed my instinct, and I, I did get them. They arrived in November. And we did lose a few of them, but I learned afterwards, I didn't know this beforehand, that when you order chickens in the mail, which is a very common practice, it is kind of stressful on them and 
it's almost inevitable that you will lose some of them. But I did my best. We paid attention to, we paid attention to them. We had a heat lamp. We took care of them. And I just learned what they needed and what worked best as I went along. And we do live in a day and age where research is really easy. There's tons of books on this topic. There's tons of posts. There's tons of websites, podcasts. So when I needed to kind of troubleshoot, I just did some research. Or in my case, I do have a lot of friends who have had chickens for many years. So I just shot somebody a text and got a great easy response back. And then by the time spring came around, I had eggs and also felt a little victorious at all the naysayers around me who told me I wasn't making the right decision. So basically, what's one thing to know to get started raising chickens? They're pretty easy to take care of, especially once they're past the really small baby stage. Do some research Definitely know like what materials you need to keep them safe and warm and healthy. But after that, just jump in and learn as you go. Don't be afraid to learn as you're raising them and as you're doing it, because no matter how much preparation you do, you're always going to have to learn more. So don't be afraid to leap. And you can, of course, always message me or email me if you have any questions. Okay, now that you have chickens, do you plan on getting other animals? Hmm. So I love the idea of having fresh milk. I do feel like now that I have fresh eggs, fresh milk is like the lack of fresh milk is kind of a gap in my culinary and health and wellness interests. Uh, milk is a huge topic in and of itself. The milk we're buying off the shelves is really bad for us. It's processed badly. It's ultra pasteurized, which many studies show is part of the reason so many people are, quote, lactose intolerance. So if if you're drinking milk that has been essentially radiated Yes, it's killing the bad bacteria, quote unquote, but it's also killing all the good bacteria. And as I like to often say, when I talk about things like this, God knew what he was doing. And so many things such as wheat, milk, and so on, or even if you just think of, for instance, uh, permaculture farming, right, where everything is symbiotic, you plant a certain crop here to help a certain crop next to it and where for instance on with our chickens the scraps from our kitchen end up feeding them which in turn when they lay eggs ends up feeding us you know there's a whole system that goes together and it usually only goes really wrong when we get involved and start tinkering with it and that's what's happened with milk the the lack of the good uh, bacteria in the milk is really what's causing a lot of the digestive issues and, and all of the subsequent issues that come from that. So if you're able to get fresh, raw, which and raw basically just means it hasn't been pasteurized or it hasn't been heavily pasteurized, uh, then you are drinking really nutritious milk, milk that is 
really good for you, good for your body, good for your gut health, good for your bones, all the things. So it's really hard to find milk like that anywhere. Uh, With me, I have to drive at least 40 minutes in certain directions before I can get some, which when you run out of milk is not particularly practical. So that's all to say, I would love some kind of animal that gives me milk, which would be obviously a cow or a goat or even a sheep or sheep (laughs) or even sheep. (laughs) I'm a little hesitant though, because regardless of how easy some of these animals are. Like I would not say chickens are quote hard work, especially once you have the whole setup. They're really easy. You, we just really go out and feed them, let them out in the morning, feed them, change their water, put them in at night because you want to make sure they're safe, as safe as you possibly can from predators. But they, they still need attention, right? If you don't feed them, if they can eat, I guess, grass and bugs for, as long as possible, but they need food, they need water, they need shelter. And a bigger animal like a milk cow is just more of that commitment. And we do like to go on trips. We do like to travel and just kind of not have too much on our plate that we absolutely cannot get rid of. So I'm a little hesitant for that reason. But with time, who knows? <laughs> With time, I wouldn't be surprised if some kind of uh, milk animal ends up in our backyard. And uh, when that happens, of course, I will share the process just as I've shared the chicken process and and let you know and let you know how it's going, <laughs> how I feel about it and so on. Do you have any suggestions for learning the Italian language? Oh, uh, I have so many of them. This is as those of you who've been listening to the show for a while know, this is a big topic for me, both kind of the spiritual importance of knowing your ancestral language, as well as the thorniness involved in knowing your ancestral language when you no longer live on your ancestral land. There's a lot of dynamics in all that, but I'm going to assume you're asking me literally for tips on how to to learn to speak Italian. So the the basic one is one that you've probably already heard, which is immersion. And if you're living here in the States, it's a little hard to find immersion. But these days, apps like Netflix are playing so many Italian movies and shows and even if they're not Italian, there are a lot of shows that you've already watched. You know, you can watch, for instance, Outlander or The Crown uh, in Italian. You can just you can just go into settings and put English captions, Italian audio, and watch it that way. Both of which I've done, by the way. I love to do things like that because I know the story already. So I know the characters in Outlander. I know the the plot. And that makes retaining the language or learning new things a lot easier for me. So I'm not trying to like learn the plot and the people at the same time. I can really just absorb the language and understand things because I've heard it said before or I know what's intended to be said between people. I also do this with books. So when I read Elena Ferrante's 
Neapolitan series. After I finished one of the books in English, I also read it in Italian. And again, because I knew the story, because I knew the plot, I was able to read more of it in Italian and absorb more of it in Italian with more ease. You can also get the audio versions in Italian of books like that. So get a book that you love, whether it's it's written in Italian or it's not written in Italian. But as long as there's an Italian audiobook version, I mean, you might have to dig a little to find it. Not every book obviously has that, but a lot of them do. And then once you know the book well or you love the book, just buy it in in an Italian version and, and listen to it that way. And that will really help you learn new words, learn how words are used when they're spoken in native Italian. And you won't be, you know, you won't be lost, right? Because you already know the plot. Another tip that I have is obviously to get a tutor. And you can really find very affordable tutors online. Italki, I-T-A-L-K-I is a platform I've used for many years. I kind of go on and off with Italian tutors. I I go on and off just because life gets busy, but I do love when I'm actually meeting with one every week. I find that doing that exponentially improves my Italian. It, it's Even if I'm just, which I usually am because I'm at a level where the tutor usually says to me, we're not speaking in English at all. And we we may do some lessons, but largely we just talk. And just that kind of 60-minute immersion in pushing myself and then being corrected, obviously, when I do mess up and learning, learning like kind of re- um, brushing off my grammar and all of the things I get sloppy with just helps me leaps and bounds. So you can get tutors for, I mean, as little as I think $10, $15 a session. So it's really worth the investment if you're interested in it. And this one's a little lighthearted. What is your favorite pasta dish? It's like asking me to choose a favorite child. <laughs> I I kind of love all pasta dishes. I can think trying to think right now if there's a pasta dish you give me that I would say, eh. My mother's like favorite is uh, pasta badan, as we would say in the dialect I grew up with, which is pasta and potatoes, pasta e patane. And I'll eat it, but it's not my favorite. I just the combination of uh, tomato and potato and pasta just doesn't do it for me. But uh, one of one of my top, <laughs> one of my top three would probably be um, a carbonara, a spaghetti carbonara. I really do love that mix of egg and cheese and uh, meat <laughs> and some freshly ground black pepper. It really is one of my go-tos. I think, honestly, if you're using really good ingredients like fresh eggs and good quality parmigiano, good quality pasta that, you know, its only ingredient is durum wheat and that it's imported. Like if you really just take it up a notch with all of the ingredients, it's actually a kind of a nutritious dish or a wholesome dish, like just good, getting in your good fats and good protein and it's absolutely delicious. 
do you have any tips for taking better photos of oneself and their family? Hmm. I think when it comes to taking photos, something that could be a good tip that maybe a lot of people don't do is to think about the styling of it. So the styling of it would be what is going to be the background, what people in the photo are going to wear, what perhaps any any props or items that are going to be in the photo. So what's the image or the essence that you want to capture. If you put a little forethought into that before you're actually, you know, grabbing your toddlers to be in the photo and you set it all up, your photos are going to improve immensely because you're going to be capturing, you're going to be capturing a spirit and, and setting it up to really be beautiful and kind of magical you know, I love candid photos 100%, but that's that's just one one tip or trick that I think is different than we, than what um most people naturally or inherently do. So, uh, the background is really important, so even if you are taking like a candid photo or a spur of the moment photo, just pay attention to what's behind the person you're photographing. And of course, if you're photographing yourself, make sure there is no you know, if you're around trees, that none of the tree limbs look like they are poking the person in the head and make sure there's nothing like a garbage can overflowing with trash. You know, just you're not just paying attention to the subject. You're paying attention to what's around the subject as well. And a really quick, easy tip also is when it comes to background to use that background to frame whoever you're taking a photo of, whether it's yourself or your family. So walls are a terrific background, gates, uh, any kind of any kind of structure that you can get like a good square out of. And there is, you don't need to know this rule. To be honest, I was taking photos for a really long time before I even, I even knew it was an actual rule. It was just something I did instinctually because my eye just saw it, but there is something called the rule of three, the rule of threes, the rule of thirds. (laughs) I think it's called the rule of thirds. And in essence, you know, picture a wall that someone you're taking a picture of is standing in front of, and you can break that wall up into thirds. And your instinct might be to place the person in the center third, but for whatever reason, our eyes, our taste for beauty, I don't really know what it is, we it's it's more satisfying if actually the person is off center so you want to place the person in maybe the right third box or the 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 box on the left so just a little bit off center and it'll give you a little bit more of an artsy interesting kind of depth i actually could do a whole episode probably on tips for taking better photos and more interesting photos and more creative photos. So if that is something you guys are interested in, definitely shoot me a message over on Instagram or email me at Dolores at bellafigurapodcast.com. And uh, I'll either do like a Substack post or I don't know, maybe a whole podcast episode where I give you my 10 top tips for taking better photos. It 
definitely is a good thing to know in this day and age. I mean, whether we like it or not, photos are a huge part of life now, way more than they ever were before. And I definitely notice bad pictures. (laughs) I notice when y'all are taking bad pictures. I mean, in the sense that in the sense that you can you can easily spot when someone uh, does not have the eye for it and when someone does. And I think even on a subtle level, if you are looking to present yourself in a way that shows that you have, you know, some kind of style or some kind of creative eye or, or um, level of taste, that knowing a few tips on taking better photographs will definitely will definitely go a long way. So definitely let me know if you want to hear more about that. All right, it looks like we are at about 45 minutes here for this episode. So I am going to wrap it up, make this a short Q&A. Maybe maybe I'll do a part two with the questions that I did not get to, but I do have one more episode left in this season and I really do want to do a wrap up. So if you do have more questions, send them to me. And if I don't use them now, I will use them at some point in the future. And I appreciate all of you who did reach out with your questions. It's just like a fun, quick episode for me to do. Sit down, read what you, what you write and want to know from me. And, and, you know, I don't have to worry about booking a guest or our schedule. So I appreciate it. And hopefully you get some good knowledge out of it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're all having a great summer. Stay tuned for the season four wrap up, which I hope to have out next week. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, share it with your friends and share it on social. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power.